Future Daryl here. Uh, as we were editing this episode, we realized that we missed an important caveat. None of us are professional therapists or mental health professionals, and this conversation should not be taken as medical advice. Um, we are all fans of therapy and treatment by professionals, and so if you are going through something that feels like it is too much to handle on your own, please seek out the appropriate mental health care professional in your area. And now on with the episode. Welcome to episode two of Yourself at Work. Uh, I'm Daryl Henrik, and I'm here with Kristen Masco. Uh, our guest today is Linda Furness, a leadership coach with a wealth of experience advising uh, executives across industries, uh, and also my coach. Uh, so let's bring in Linda. Great. So for our topic today, we wanted to talk about transitions. And the reason we wanted to talk about transitions is uh, this is really timely right now. Like we're, you know, in the immediate sense, we have, you know, all of the layoffs that are happening, particularly in the tech industry but also in other industries. Um, and this is kind of like a forced transition. It's a transition, um, you know, for the people who are laid off, it's a transition. And even for the people who aren't, it's, it can be a transition in terms of how they think about their, their company, their role, the stability of their role. Um, and so just in terms of the people we've been talking with, we're hearing a lot right now around how people navigate transitions. Um, and then also transitions just more broadly are, really top of mind in our in our jobs and our careers like if you think about what we struggle with in our careers is it's it's often transitions it's hey there's this new opportunity to take on a larger role am i ready can i expand um, my abilities or i'm thinking of switching fields what does that look like and so the ability to navigate transitions um, with ease is is really critical to to career success and just just life satisfaction and so we're incredibly excited to have Linda with us today, um, who is just a really um, wise thought leader and coach uh, to, to leaders in this space and have, has done a lot of work on transitions. So first off, welcome, Linda. We're so excited to have you here with us. And maybe to start us out, could you just talk with us about like, like what is a transition and what, what are kind of some of the typical stages that, that someone might go through when they're, when they're going through um, a transition in their career? Sure. Yeah. First, happy to be here. So excited to be with both of you. Um, and so a guy named William Bridges along many years ago did <clears throat> kind of um, work around transitions that. I think has been the standard for a long time in terms of how people think about transition. And part of what he talked about is the difference between change and transition, right? So change is, you know, today I live here, tomorrow I live there. But the transition is the sort of internal process that happens where um, I go from a person who feels like I live here or work here to a person who doesn't, who feels like this other new place is home, right? And that can happen over a much longer period of time and people go through kind of um, common and somewhat predictable phases of that process, right? And so there are common emotions and common, um, sort of a common process that people go through. And so part of that is if you think about it, uh, any transition um, in a way it kind of starts with something ending and in, then it goes through a period of I'm kind of lost in the woods, right? I'm not here or there exactly. And then ends with I'm in a new place and I'm beginning something new. And so that's the sort of, um, you know, arc, like dip that uh, he talked about in terms of describing transition as a process. 
do you i mean given given all that and again th thank you for 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 being with us i uh i guess i should actually say to to lead off part of the reason i was so excited to have have you on was that you were very instrumental in a number of my own transitions <laughs> uh, over the years, and um, and I thought, you know, obviously you do many things other than work with transitions, but it was really special to me the work that we did together, and so thank you for that. One of the things that's been coming up a lot lately um, for people is this idea of the transitions being forced as opposed to voluntary, right? And yeah. that like often when it's the sort of something happens, then you're in the woods and then emerge from the woods. In this case, people essentially have been forced into the woods, which has been a, a you know, I think one of the things that 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 um, I'm at least very interested in, in exploring more is um, the difference in the process of helping someone through a voluntary transition versus something where there may be a sense of urgency or a you know, like in, in my own experience, it was the process of like deciding to make the transition. That was a huge part of it. And then then the rest was kind of logistics. I think what a lot of people are dealing with now is a, oh my gosh, I was just put into the woods. Um, and so just wondering. Right, I was just shoved out of a moving car in the woods. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> right. the car drove off. Yeah. And so now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now here I am. Yeah, so definitely a really different process. Um, I mean, I think that the thing that I think about with that is like, so the first thing is it's really disorienting, right? So I, I didn't choose this. I maybe didn't have any idea it was coming maybe. Um, and now suddenly it's here and it's not my, it's not the path I thought I was on and it's not necessarily one I would have chosen. Right. So that all is really disorienting because it's, you know, being completely confronted with all the ways in which I'm not controlling my own journey, right? Um, and so I think the first thing for me, the first thing that comes up is, okay, so how do you deal with all the fear that that brings up, right? As, you know, human beings, we don't love not being in control. We don't love unpredictability. We don't love um, having no idea what's next, all of that. So, I think the first thing is how do you deal with all the fear um, that often gets activated by something like that uh, before you start trying to figure out what to do, right? About it. Yeah. And I think that's such an important point of like, you know, when you started talking about the three stages of the transition, the first, the first is a loss, right? Or the, a loss or an ending. And I think, sometimes in our culture, we're so eager to, to be doing and adding and growing and changing that we, we skip over the step of, of processing what's been lost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's, there's processing the loss, there's managing, um, any fear, anxiety, and, you know, uh, often people avoid <laughs> both of those things. Right. And one of the ways people avoid them is getting into action. Like, oh, I'm going to start doing some stuff. And then I don't have to feel all that. But I think a thing to really pay attention to is how effective is my action? If it's actually happening from a place of reaction and avoidance, instead of I have processed what is happening for me to some degree, right? And now I'm making choices about the direction I want to go 
and it's a little bit grounded, that's going to feel really different than the action of, oh my God, I don't want to feel this, run. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's an amazing point. I mean, I think one of the things we had talked about before was this idea of, um, you know, we were, we see the kind of LinkedIn uh, uh threads going by of everybody posting kind of their interview statistics and or how many times did I apply or all of these things. And, uh, you know, in the in a call that you and I had had previously, I thought that it was it was a really great point that you made around um, people um, acting from a place of sort of a frazzled, oh, my gosh, how do I escape from this? let me just sort of scattershot as many uh, applications as I can and things like that um, versus taking that time to breathe and, and, you know, uh, grieve and things. I, I think that the, the thing that that's interesting to try to tease apart is I think to, to honor both people who have time, who feel that they have time to grieve process, go through the woods and people who feel like, what am I supposed to do? It is frantic. I am frazzled. Mm -hmm. And it's, and so yeah. kind of like a, cause I think there's two things going on, right? There's the, how do I escape this feeling? I need to, I need to move on and need to go through the grief, et cetera. And then there's the, and obviously these can happen at the same time to the same person, but there's the wait, no, I actually, I'm going to lose my visa or I need to pay my mortgage. Right. And things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so when I talk about taking time to do some processing and coming from a more grounded place, like that can look like a months long process, but it can also look like, you know, a day, right? It doesn't have to, or an hour or 10 minutes. It doesn't have to necessarily be um, a huge, big, long thing. I think, you know, I'm sure both of you have had the experience of, um, what it feels like when I'm just in reaction versus I take a couple of minutes to breathe and let my system settle a little and I'm trying to respond instead of just react, right? Like it can happen in just a really short period of time where I'm allowing myself to, you know, even if I'm just taking things down a notch, maybe I haven't, you know, done all my grieving, but I've taken that top layer of panic down a notch, right? Like that makes a difference. So there's, so there's that. And then there's also, I just think no matter how much time pressure there is, you're going to have a better process of a job search or of interviewing and how you're going to show up. If you actually take a little time to connect to what's important to me, what do I value? What do I really want in this next job? What do I really think I bring to the table? What do I offer? The more I can be grounded in knowing that about myself, the better choices I'm going to make about where to apply, the better story I'm going to have about why that's what I want to do, the better I'm going to show up in the interview, right? Like all those things are going to happen better if I've taken a little bit of time to kind of ground and center. It's, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good example of the going slow to go fast. Yeah, Linda, I think you make such a good point that it's um, not only does it is it better just from kind of an emotional place, it's actually more effective. And I think that's a really important point. Like at the end of the day, your goal is to, to, to land in your next job or career that's going to be meaningful. 
And it's more effective to do that from a place of grounding and calm than from reactivity. It's both more effective in terms of you're going to show up better and be more likely to get the job and you're going to be more likely to get a job you want. Like, right. If I just scattershot every applying to everything out of a place of panic that like, I just have to get something else right now. Um, the odds that I really get something I like are lower. Can you get a little more specific for someone who might be in that situation of like, what, what, when you say grounding, what, what do you, what do you mean? Different things are going to, I'll just say caveat, different things work for different people. Right. So like it's a, create your own mix thing, but some things that are helpful for many people. So the simplest and quickest is just breathing. So, um, you know, taking a few deep breaths, especially ones where you have a longer exhale, right? So like one of, you can like breathe into the count of four, hold it for four and then breathe out for eight or another version is breathe out for four and hold for four. I like the breathe out for eight better, but <laughs> so you see what works for you. Right. Um, but just that slow, deep breathing, if you do three rounds of that, you will feel a difference in your body. Like just that tells your nervous system. Oh, it's okay. We're safe. You can come down a little. Right. And that you can use, like apply as often as needed. Right. Like, often and and you're making me think of the, you know, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous, you know, the sympathetic fight or flight, the parasympathetic rest and digest. Yeah. Um, and that like, we just empirically, we are not thoughtful and creative when we're in the fight or flight mode. And so it, I think there's sort of the, just sort of some acceptance of like, this is how our brains and bodies work. And if when we're in that really fight or flight mode, like our, our, our prefrontal cortex is shut down. Like you are actually, you do not have access to your, to your kind of creative critical thinking and the yeah. examples you're giving of the breathing, you're like, like literally like activating your parasympathetic system to kind of, to kind of bring your prefrontal cortex back online. So you have access to, to your creative thinking. That's yeah, exactly. I was thinking like other things you do is like hug somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Like get a hug or cuddle an animal, right? Like, I mean, there are things that just in this very simple way, bring your body back into a different state, right? Mm -hmm. And I also, there's one thing about the parasympathetic, you know, fight or flight. Um, this is a piece of data I just find so helpful is that um, when we're in fight or flight, literally our field of vision narrows, like we literally see less, <laughs> Right. And it's just such a perfect metaphor for the way the whole thing works. Mm -hmm. Right. We are not, just as you said, we're not able to access so much of our capacity when we're in that state. So actually just getting out of that state, at least a little, at least some, I think is sort of thing one. As I start to get a little less triggered, can I, um, can I do things that will help me connect to my own internal compass, basically? Mm right? Like how do I access my internal navigation, which will help me figure out what direction do I want to go actually? Um, and as a part of that, like, what do I value? What am I bringing? Where do I want to be working in the world? Right. All of those things. Um, and, and again, there's a lot of different ways to do that for different people. Um, but finding, 
finding an access point for you, which again, might be talking with a friend, it might be journaling, it might be making art, <laughs> it might be going for a long walk or a long run, it might be, um, you know, lots of different access points, but bringing to yourself that question of, okay, one way to think about it, this is a question I love, one way to think about it is, if this were a really good thing, if this transition, you know, that I didn't choose and I didn't want and I'm really unhappy about, if this were a good thing, like fast forward three years and for me to be able to look back three years from now and say, wow, God, I'm so glad that happened. That was the best thing that could have happened to me. What would have to happen between now and then for that to be true? Mm. Oh, I love that. And I can just sort of open up a different lens. Mm hmm. One of the other sort of on this theme of of grounding, and you kind of alluded to this, but um, you know, this idea that how to get grounded in what the sort of you of today needs and wants versus what the mm -hmm. you of the past has sort of like given you in momentum. So I think that there's this idea of like get grounded and don't be in in sort of the the an elevated sort of anxious state while you're thinking about this. But then there's this other one of being grounded in today versus yesterday. And I think that the, 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 you know, we inherit a lot of our preferences from the person that we might've been before that made some choices 10 years ago, five years ago, things like that. So I'm just curious about getting grounded in the today. What makes me think about Daryl is just um, grounding in the body. Because the body's always present tense, <laughs> right? It's always now. And so um, a great way, I think, of centering that is very body-oriented and sort of necessarily present tense um, is just feeling into, like, what am I feeling in my body? Mm. Like, what is actually happening in my body right now? And you might notice, you know, like, oh, there's this ache in my chest or there's this tightness in my stomach or my shoulders there's something going on here or I feel like this feeling of you know whatever it might be right and just taking a moment to kind of keep company with whatever's actually happening with some awareness um, can be a really great way of allowing yourself to be present with like the most current information that is possible <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then when you're, if you find something and you're hanging out with it, like just keeping it company, there's an opportunity. Often it has information that it can share with you. Almost like you're really asking, you know, that ache in your chest, like, what is that about? And it might well answer. Uh, in, in the vein of sort of tapping into what you're experiencing, um, you know, just talking with a lot of people over the last several months who were impacted by layoffs, there are some themes that I've heard and that Daryl has heard in terms of what comes up for people. And maybe we could talk through some of those themes. Sure. Um, a, a very common one is, is, is anger and blame. And so that can be anger and blame towards the other person, like the, you know, my company, my boss, my CEO, or it can also point inward. Like it can be blame of, 
of yourself. Like, oh, maybe, maybe I wasn't qualified, maybe, you know, and tap into people's insecurity. And so maybe if we kind of like start from that example of like, all right, someone has kind of centered in their body and they're just feeling a lot of anger, like kind of how would you guide someone through processing that? Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to make a distinction. It, I feel a distinction between sort of anger and blame. Um, so, and as you pointed out, that can be internally you know, pointing internally or pointing externally, but so anger, the way I think about anger is it's, it's a physical phenomenon, right? There are sensations in my body that go with anger. Um, and if I can be present with the feeling, know what it is, oh, there's this heat, right? And it's like got this rising up feeling or whatever it is, however it's showing up in your body. Um, if I can just be with it and keep it company and not push it away, not try to squish it down or reject it or explain it or um, give it a story, but I can just feel the physical sensation of that heat and that rising or whatever that looks like, um, it will come and it will move through and pass, right? Like these, our experience of emotions, it's very fluid. They come and they go. And the reason things get stuck and kind of stick around for a long time is because we aren't actually allowing them to move through. Cause we're like, no, I don't like that. I'm going to push it away. I don't want to feel that that's bad. Or I'm going to turn it into a story about something and I get all caught in the story. Right. And I'm not just allowing the thing that is happening in my body to come and move through. So that's the first thought about it is that there's, I think a, a huge value in finding a way to allow the, the emotion to come and pass through you. Um, and it might look like what we were just talking about, about being with it. It also can look like, you know, a great way to work with anger is like, go find a place where you can break glass <laughs> safely, <laughs> right? Like that's awesome. Right. Or again, you know, make art or work out or like there are ways to like allow the, physicality of it to move through right mm -hmm. so that's that's super helpful um the place where people can get stuck kind of cycling it is when i'm telling myself a story and i just kind of keep retelling the story and then that's not moving through that's actually kind of caught in it right mm -hmm. so that's a thing to differentiate um but then the piece you talked about about blame i want to come back to that for a second because i think Blame is, I think, very much, there's a, there's an aspect of like trying to figure out what happened and why that there may be useful information there. There may be something that is actually helpful to be aware of. That's possible, right? Information that if I later take a look back and say, you know, was there anything in that situation that maybe it was a, a sign I didn't pay attention to or you know, was there something about the way I handled some things that I would like to do differently in the future? Like, is there information for me there? That's great. Like, sure. But a lot of what I think is going on in blame is I'm trying to find the explanation. I'm trying to find the rationale. I'm trying to find the reason because I don't want to feel like I don't have control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. We hate... <laughs> not being in control. We hate that feeling of 
life is happening and like a lot of it is not up to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're looking so hard often for a way out of that, but that's just reality. Like mm-hmm. a lot is happening that we aren't in control of. And so I think a thing that can help with the blame when we get caught in blame um, is, is recognizing kind of the thing underneath it is I don't want to feel like things are happening outside my control. And if I can sort of surrender to and accept that, yeah, lots is happening outside my control, um, that it, it can feel uncomfortable and it can also be freeing. I think that's really beautifully said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like to have compassion for that, right? Like, of course, yeah, it's yeah. so human. We don't want pain and suffering. So it's such a natural impulse to try to avoid it. Mm-hmm. And it's inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the package. Yes, yes, yes. And so if I'm in a place where I'm trying to avoid all pain and suffering, like, you know, tilting at windmills, it's not, <laughs> not going to work. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I think is worth noting as we talk about some of the feeling into the body and things like that from my own experience um working with you linda on on that exact thing and actually from some of the other folks that i know have worked with you who have shared with me that that work was so powerful that they did um i think that this idea that you know the body can tell you what your current state is the body can help you sort through hard problems, things like that. I actually think that for, and I don't want to stereotype, but I think for very logically minded folks like myself, um, the idea of that, I mean, I don't know, it probably took us, what, seven sessions working together till I bought that it was, <laughs> that it was a thing that, that you know, um, and, and believed it. And then literally it changed my life multiple times over. Um, I think getting people to that uh, that place to want to do that kind of work is just kind of an interesting thing on its own. Um, and that it does, the body does have so much to share and can be helpful. And I think the kind of like often tech brain folks are in the, and again, not to stereotype, but in this like, hey, what the body has to offer is extraneous data. Let me toss it. And um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, our, I mean, our culture, our educational system, right? Like we're conditioned to basically think this is, a, the body is a thing that does physical things and the brain is where like all the thinking and feeling and all that stuff is happening, right? Like we're sort of, that's the way we're sort of conditioned, right? To think. Um, and I think what I would say about it is, Try it. <laughs> like find out for yourself is really what I would say to people. It, you know, I think it, it, it can be hard initially sort of trying that work on your own. So it's really helpful to have somebody to support you in doing it initially, especially um, if possible. And there are books and other things or other resources, right? Um, but I, but I would say, like, don't take my word for it or your word for it, right? Like, it's a thing to experiment with your for yourself. Um, here you have this 
whole other part of you, uh, there may be information there that's really, really useful to you. Yeah, I mean, just to share like the quick anecdote, and, and if this is useful for people, I mean, and I do consider myself to be very hyperlogical, body discarder kind of person. Um, and, you know, when one of the times that we had worked together very early on was this, what I kind of felt was an intractable problem. And you, ha you just asked me, how much are, are you using your body to solve this problem? And I said, zero. <laughs> and and the, the, the work that we ended up doing was, was around, well, what information does your body have to offer to help solve this really hard problem? And getting in touch with that, it was like learning a whole different language. But what was fascinating to me in that was that what should have been a very obvious logical mental course of action that I should have known, I, I, not should, but I, I could have known um, about a way to proceed was being blocked by this avoidance of pain. And in that case, it was a pain of disappointing others or a pain of call, maybe causing what I was viewing as this might be, this might hurt someone if I took this action and that sort of thing. Um, and realizing that my, my thinking mind was not going to allow me to, or my body essentially was like almost preventing my thinking mind from considering that course of action as a valid course of action. And it was, it wasn't coming through. And getting that unblocked, honestly, like like that, it, it truly changed my life. I know that like Tim Ferriss mentioned something about this on a podcast of his um, uh, years ago. And he said it was, he had a very similar awakening doing, doing a similar kind of work of the really hard problems. The body has to be included. And the really hard problems are only solvable when you include the body. I just thought, I don't know. So thank you for that. And it, it's, yes, uh, my, my highest advice to others is yes, please try it. Cause it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, a way to think about it, I think, I mean, thank you for that. And a way to think about it, I think is like, would you want to approach really difficult problems with only some of the data available to you? Or would you like to incorporate all of the data available to you? That's amazing. Yeah. Right. Because the thing is that this is the other part I'll just add is I think people often are afraid to know how they feel about something because they're afraid that if I find out how I feel, then I'm going to have to do whatever that feeling would suggest. Right? Like if I know I'm really angry about this thing, I'll have to leave that person or end that relationship. Or if I know that I'm really sad or really hurt, I'm going to have to, right? Like there's this feeling of maybe then I won't have any choice. <laughs> And I think, and so we keep ourselves from knowing things because we're afraid of what that might mean. And I think the thing to just say is, I think it's really useful to access all the data and then you still get to use your good thinking to choose what you want to do with that information. Like you're not going to lose, just accessing information in your body, you're not going to lose all your powers of thought. I think that people want a sense of safety and security. And so when something bad happens, they want to learn from the bad thing that happened to prevent the bad thing from happening again. And I think this is just, mm -hmm. that's a very old kind of biological thing that happens, right? Pattern match the negative thing, don't have it happen again in the future. So I think if there's a version of whether we want to call that safety and security, whether we want to call it control, um, I, and I think where a lot of people struggle, because I see a lot of people stuck in blame, 
or stuck in the search for, hey, like, what can I learn from this situation? Um, and like, oh, I mean, even down to the point of like, is, are there ways that we can discover maybe what secret algorithm might have been used by this person that might have made a layoff decision or things like that? Really down into these very, very, um, you know, nuanced details of things that actually probably aren't going to necessarily be helpful or were only useful for that one point in time. I'm just curious about um, that that need for, okay, like I think for some, in some situations, yeah, there is going to be information you can learn, right? Where Whether it was, hey, like, okay, I did this. I, per, I did this project, that project didn't go that well, I want to do better at it the next time, and whatever, great. Um, but then there are situations where maybe there isn't a whole lot to learn. So I'm just wondering, do you have any advice for people who are stuck in the, because I think where people can get stuck is, I can't figure out what I should have learned from this situation. It doesn't feel like there's anything I can learn. So, but therefore it's not that I should move on. It's that I must keep trying to learn more from the situation until I learn something. <laughs> does that make sense? Right. Yeah, totally. It does. Um, so the thing I was thinking as you were talking about that is like where I would want to go with somebody is pay attention to the energy. Are you coming at this from a place of like, oh, I'm genuinely kind of interested and curious. Like, oh, is there something I can learn here? right? Or does it have a energy of, I must figure this out because I have to avoid pain, <laughs> right? And if it's the latter, okay, let's pause that, right? And start again, go back to pain and suffering in life is inevitable. Bad things are gonna happen sometimes. They just are. And yep. we will feel pain. And so if I'm coming at this because I've got this sort of death grip on trying to find a way to avoid pain, then that's where I would start is, okay, we need to start with just, yep, can't avoid pain. Um, when you were saying like people feeling like I have to keep focusing on this until I learn the lesson, I think there can be this assumption that we have that if we learn all the lessons and if we do it right, we will never feel pain. And when we're feeling pain, it's a sign that we did something wrong. And just really underscoring Linda, the point you just made, like life has pain. Like there will be things that happen in life that are painful, that are unfair, that are fill in the blank. And that is just like the nature of being a human being on this planet. And I, th I think, I think that can just be helpful to acknowledge that it, there, there isn't a way to win the game. There isn't a way to get all the right moves such that you've never experienced any pain. And it's more about how can I move going to your earlier point? How can I move through it when I am feeling those emotions? And then the thing I want to underscore is, you know, so when Daryl was saying, you know, what's the thing I can learn here, maybe the thing to learn is how to be with pain. Mm -hmm. Like maybe that's the thing to learn here. Yeah. That life will have its share of pain and I need to build the skills in myself to, to hold that when it comes my way. One of the things that, um, that you've said before around um, sort of theoretically 
um, whether it's building an identity or um, whatever your next thing is going to be. There's the doing it in your head. There's the predicting it in your head. There's the what's this going to feel like. And then there's the getting out there and doing it experientially. And I know that you've you've given this advice before around, you know, there's only so far that your head is going to take you or that your prediction or theorizing is going to take you, right? Of, I wonder yeah. how, how that's going to feel. And I think, you know, I think it's fairly well known. Humans aren't necessarily the best at predicting how things are going to feel when they're done. Uh, when they're being done, right, versus getting out there and actually doing them. So, you know, I know you have a lot of thoughts on that topic. So yeah. To hear yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll just say a thing about that, which is, so there's both, I, you may not know, be able to predict accurately how you're going to feel when you actually do that thing. That's part of it. The other is, you don't know how the world is going to respond to you doing it. Right. The, the world is full of other people and things out there that are going to respond in different ways to you. And um, so the way I think about exploring new opportunities, paths, directions is it's this sort of constant toggling back and forth between looking inside what feels interesting, exciting, intriguing. What's calling me? What do I feel moved to do? Where am I feeling pulled? And then go do something. Talk to somebody, volunteer. <laughs> Do something, put yourself in a, in a new context, do a new thing, and then you'll have all this more information that comes back. And then you take that in and you do the same checking of what about all that? There were parts of that I really didn't like, and there were parts of it that were exciting, and can I tease those apart? And then from that, figure out what's the next new thing to try, right? Who do I want to talk to now, or where do I want to go now, or what might I do out in the world now with that, right? And so it's this sort of back and forth um, weaving between looking in and looking out and the sort of reflecting and then the being and doing, doing out in the world. I love that. And it's interesting, like for, for those of us who are in tech, like this is, you know, in, in the tech world, you would never just create a product in, in your, in your shop for two years and then release it to the world. There's launch and iterate is just how the tech world works. But I think when it comes to our, our personal lives and our careers, because it feels so much more tender and emotional and personal, we forget to do that. And I, I think just kind of reminding ourselves that it's not that different. You don't you don't know, you can't predict and and kind of giving ourselves the emotional tools to, to be OK in that process of experimentation. Totally. Yes. Yeah. I think part of it in, ter in terms of the emotional tools, right, I think part of it is there's a really helpful mindset of coming at it from a perspective of experimentation, right? So not a mindset of, I should be able to figure this out and know, and anyone who doesn't know what they want is somehow, <laughs> you know, not okay or not serious or not something, doesn't have their shit together, right? Instead of that, can you come at it from a perspective of that launch and iterate, like I'm gonna, um, you're intentionally being an experimenter. Yeah. 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 I'm actually curious why it is that, and I see it in myself, I see it in so many of my friends and colleagues, why we um, are so, you know, we talked about this on, on the last episode, but this idea of like, I want to plan 47 steps ahead. I want to theorize, how's that mm -hmm. going to feel? Then what's going to happen? Then what's going to happen? Then what's going to happen? And it, for some reason, it just seems like that is kind of the bias, I guess, these days for a lot of people of, mental experimentation, but not out in the world experimentation. Do we know why? 
And I think that's maybe a question for both of you, because like I've often thought about why is it that my default isn't to go try things? Why is it that I just want to live in my head and theorize it? Do, do we know why? Well, okay. Can I ask you, why do you think for you? That's a really good question. I, I mean, I think that there are probably, it reminds me of part of the conversation earlier around um, it's safe. It's safe to experiment, to explore and experiment in your head. There's very few consequences, but that also feels like a very psychology answer that I am just trained to know that that's maybe the answer. <laughs> so is that the answer? <laughs> well, so, okay, let's play with this for a minute. We can always edit it out, but take a moment and just check, like, can you feel if you think about thinking something through that way versus going and trying something, what do you notice? Like what comes up about that? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Just, just thinking that right now it is immediately chest tightens. Um, like I could do, do that, make yourself small. And I'm not even thinking about something specific. I don't know. It's just literally the like, Oh, go do something new or yeah. Or, or like, there's a thing maybe that I thought I wanted to do. Oh, it immediately goes, I feel, I feel getting small. I feel getting defensive um, versus thinking it through in my head. It's like, I wouldn't say it feels open and expansive easier because that's kind of the opposite of contractive. It just feels kind of nothing. It's like, because you can do it all day long and spin in your head. So yeah. I guess it is that. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of that. It's, it feels, and sometimes is, but certainly feels scary to put ourselves out in the world and scary in different ways too. Like one way it can feel scary is like, I have this tender little shoot of a new idea, something mm. that I maybe want, or maybe I'm excited about. And it's so small and fragile. Mm. And if I go interact with the world, is it going to get crushed? Right? Like that can be the fear. It can be a fear of this new little something is going to get squished before it ever has a chance to like come into being. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And I know we've, we've, we've done things like this in the past. And so, but, but it is, <laughs> it's fascinating how, and I think it's actually very illustrative though of the value of this kind of thing and the body and whatnot, like the very few prompts that you just gave and the very like, just how does it feel? Um, I, I hope it is, uh, I hope it's evidence for anyone watching <laughs> how useful it can be to answer because literally I had the, I had that question, I posed the question Hey, what does your body say? And there's the answer. It just happened, right? And so, um, an accidental illustration of the principle you were, were talking about before. Yeah, yeah. 
So we have a lot of people who have just gone through layoffs in the past several months and are, are, are going through this transition. They're thinking about what's next. And we've talked a lot about not being reactive, not being frenetic, and really kind of coming into a place of being grounded in, in who you are and, um, and kind of where you want to go next. Um, if it, sort of, if someone were to come to you and just say, Hey, I want to, I want to do this in a really thoughtful way. Like I really want to approach my next career, um, step in a way that feels um, like it has integrity with, with who I am and what I value. How would you suggest they just like approach that process? Like, um, figuring out the next step from a place of, of being grounded. So there are some um, sort of really simple but useful ways to do that, I think. So one is looking at moments of joy in your life, right? So you can reflect back on times in your life where you felt really joyful, fulfilled, in flow, right? Times when um, you had that sense of just like, I could do this forever, this is perfect. Um, to really physically write down a bunch of times in your life where that happened for you. And in each of them to write about what was happening, what were all the things that contributed to that moment being that way for you, right? So think about who you were with, what you were doing, what you, all your senses, what you could see, smell, hear, right? Um, everything about it that contributed to that. And as you do this it, over a number of different experiences, you'll start to see some common themes about things that just make you come alive. Mm. Right? So that's one way to sort of ground in what I would call values or things that really um, are intrinsically inherently satisfying for you. That's one set of useful things. You can also look back over all the accomplishments of your life and think about what are the things I've been most proud of? And why was I proud of that? Like, what did I do? What were the skills and qualities I was drawing on to accomplish that thing? Why, why does it matter to me? Why does it feel like something that's a source of pride? Mm -hmm. Right. And so from that, you can start to get a sense of, um, again, what's important to you and also the skills and qualities you bring to the work you do and to your life. Like they don't need to be work things. They can be a mix of personal, professional, it's all good. Um, but that's another way to sort of ground in, oh, these are strengths I have, right? And then you can spend some time thinking about, okay, so if these are things that are just intrinsically satisfying and rewarding for me, and these are strengths I bring, and these are ways of making a difference in the world that I feel proud of, where might that point me? Another thing that can be helpful is to zoom out and think about looking at this moment in time from the perspective of, say, 10 years from now, or zooming out and looking at it as a, a inflection point in your whole, the arc of your whole life, as a way of just um, <laughs> reminding yourself that this is a point in time and a point on a journey it's not defining the whole thing in any way. That instantly just made, as you said that, it made life feel lighter. <laughs> I don't know, Kristen, if that's what it did for you, but I just felt like, yeah. oh, <laughs> you know, it made me think like, like, oh, the, 
a big transition moment isn't necessarily the pivot point of one's it can be it can be a pivot a pivot point it's not the pivot point right yeah yeah putting the whole thing in perspective a little bit is also helpful all right. Well, that seems like a good place to close. Um, Linda, huge thank you for your time today. We really um, enjoyed this conversation. And I know both Daryl and I have benefited from you personally as, as our coach over the years. And so just huge thank you for, for sharing um, your insight with us. And for those listening, um, if you could just let people know how they can find you if they want to reach out. Sure. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn, Linda Furness. And um it has been so great seeing you both and talking with you today. And thank you for having me. Thank Thanks you. so much.